leading Claret and Cobalt, Trey Fitzgerald, Ryan Hale. Our guest today, Sam Stasekel from The Athletic. Many of you may remember Sam when he was an RSL PR staffer uh, back from 2012 to 2014. In this podcast, we talk a lot about the current state of RSL, ownership possibilities, um, the state of the league in terms of new ambitious owners pouring money into markets, stadiums, players, etc., etc., uh, we have uh, time for a few fun anecdotes at my expense, and certainly uh, Sam is a very self-effacing guy um, in terms of his time here in Salt Lake and how much uh, he enjoyed his time here working with the, the people at Rio Tinto Stadium in a very, I guess I would say a simpler time, Ryan, pre, pre-Monarchs, pre-Royals, pre-Harriman, uh, pre-Academy. Um, just... Just great to catch up with Sam. He's obviously got such a, I think, a unique take. And I think we're lucky for him, for us, that he, as one of the foremost journalists covering the sport in this country, the league, the national team, etc., we get into a lot of cool kind of, I think, salary cap uh, discussion where I always learn when I have these discussions with him or Elliot or Garth or whoever. So anyway... um, what are your thoughts on uh, on having uh, Sam today? Well, being someone, I I got to see front row seats to how RSLPR works, yeah, and uh, knowing how um, and appreciating from a fan standpoint, like how open and you know how easy it was to hear about news at the club and the you know to I guess really to like see the, the how the club and the news outlets work together and yeah. that kind of thing. And I when you you know, obviously that has a lot to do with your influence with that. And then, you know, someone like Sam, who, when I, when I came to the club, yeah. you know, several years after he left, you could still feel like there was people that trusted and there was relationships that existed because of guys like Sam sure. carried on by Matt and Taryn. Yep. You know, it's like, these are things that like the, the club has some very good relationships, which is in turn makes sure that the fans get the story about yeah. what's happening, you know, on the, yeah. on the field and stuff like that. And we're behind the scenes. So I've always appreciated Sam. I love his stuff with the athletic. You know, I'm a, you know, anything that anybody who can speak to MLS with, uh, with some intelligence and with like some actual like facts instead of just like, it's yeah, a low, this is a low tier league, whatever yeah, you hear sure. from that. Like when yeah. that's one of the things I've been appreciating about the athletic recently is just their MLS coverage is, is like real. It's, it's, it's so good. It's in depth and no one's going to argue that MLS is ever going to like MLS is its own thing. And I right. think that, but the thing is treat it like it is. It's, you know, and I think Sam's one of those guys on that side as well, from the media standpoint, mm-hmm. he's leading that too. Anyway. So I, I have a lot of, you know, he's a great guy and I'm glad he yeah. takes the time to like, come in and talk well, and he does it with i think a perspective a sense of humor and he expects more he always is demanding that this league gets better but he still celebrates his quirks and um and that's why you know i love following him on twitter during like national team games or big mls games because you know he fires off not only is it funny but it's entertaining and sometimes you got to sift through that a little bit but it becomes quite insightful as well in terms of some of the bigger issues of Roster construction, salary cap, uh, commitment to building a culture in a market of celebrating the fans, of taking care of your employees, all these kinds of things. So always good. Uh, This is a long one, but um, I think it's quite uh, entertaining, educational, insightful, and uh, we would expect nothing less from 
our man Sam Stasekel from The Athletic right here on Bleeding Claret and Cobalt presented by One Wire Fighter. Bleeding Claret and Cobalt presented by OneWireFiber.com. That's the number one wirefiber.com. The goal at OneWire has always been a simple one. Deliver cutting-edge telecommunications products and services better than anyone in the Utah communities we serve to all businesses, regardless of size, affordably. Visit OneWireFiber.com or call 801-990-6200. Welcome back in, everyone. Bleeding, Claret, and Cobalt. Trey Fitzgerald, your host. Ryan Hale, the super producer behind the glass. Today's guest live, not really live, but in studio, in person, in Utah, the one, the only, the inimitable, the legend, Whoa, Sam Stasekel. Wow, what an intro. I'm, there's no way I'm going to live up to that. I use inimitable for pretty much everyone, just so you know. Uh, yeah, I know. I remember you liking that word a lot, but you did call me a legend and I mean, let's not get carried away. I mean, look, there's a lot of RSL legends, but I'd, I'd put you in the top, uh, quartile. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'll take it. That's fine. Sam is, uh, rolling through town, a little summer vacation heading on his way to, to Jackson hole, which is exciting out there. Do you want to tell him the hotel I'm staying at? (laughs) This is going to air. Like well after <laughs> you're back in your your yeah, give your my, trendy give my home address your trendy Brooklyn <laughs> hovel hovel a trendy and a hovel <laughs> only in Brooklyn you're the inimitable one Trey yeah well look how that's working out for me <laughs> <laughs> um no Sam obviously you know we we hear you every week it seems like with Spencer Checkets over on ESPN 700 yeah he's we gonna have to start paying me soon. <laughs> We obviously read all the great stuff that you and Paul and Jeff and Pence and uh, Meg and uh, others over at The Athletic, you know, that is uh, that is the go-to place for uh, American soccer coverage. Um, I actually read a lot of The Athletic UK stuff, too. Oh, do you? Um, Who's which, your fave? Which is fascinating. Oh, man, don't put me on the spot like that. Uh, come on. You said you read it a lot. I like the big picture articles, you know, <laughs> that kind of examine the state of the sport. It reminds me of our old conversations with Garth about how FIFA has fueled socialism in various uh, geopolitical contexts over the course Is that of the true? last hundred years. Well, Garth likes to, you know, connect certain dots. Socialism and FIFA? I feel like FIFA is a very capitalistic organization. They are capitalistic, but I think they try to come off as socialistic with their their programs to to build fields and benefit federations and spread the <laughs> wealth around. There's certainly room for debate, uh, you know, <laughs> in terms of how altruistic some of these initiatives yeah, really are. Well, I mean, FIFA, you know, no, no one involved with FIFA has ever lined their own pockets in any Never. Way, shape or form in a, in a scandalous manner. So, um, so. I mean, there's so many places we could start, but I, I just, you haven't been back to Salt Lake much no. since you left RSL in 2014. Yeah. 2014. I remember where I was, I was on a golf trip with Elliot and Raider and a few other guys and you were in Seattle oh, and no. Deloitte was having trouble getting the game on television. And I remember getting a call 
in the middle of the game and, and kind of explaining, I think, national rights and local rights and, and all that kind of stuff. But that's kind of how I remember, in addition to some of the late night uh, texts that I, I, I might have received from Dunny and, and his wife. and About what? Um, just, you know, shenanigans in Seattle. Any of that. I know you don't remember. <laughs> Anyway, it was obvious. So, like, let's uh, let's brief the listeners because people may not be aware of. Uh, yeah, they probably don't your know. Path who, they from, probably don't know who I am from all, Northwestern. Honestly. Oh my God, we're doing the life story. to Chicago. Okay, to you wind it Salt back all Lake, the way to, to birth or what? To no. Okay, we'll just start not with your far. with your time at the. Um, oh man, the paragon of journalism in our country, Northwestern <laughs> University. <laughs> That's right. Um, well, actually, so man. I have some funny stories about you from this time. Well, so let's, I had, let's tell them. I had taken a job, it was my senior year of college, I had taken a job not in media in any way, shape, or form in like February of my senior year, but I still wanted to work in soccer. I had done some stuff in soccer when I was in college and somebody tipped me off, hey, RSL, their PR department, one of their guys is leaving, you should get in touch with, with this guy, Trey, and blah, 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 I get in touch with you, you interview me, you fly me out to Tucson. Um, we do an interview. It was like 20 minutes long and you were on your phone half the time. And really? I, was, I was like wearing a suit in the lobby of a Doubletree hotel. And, uh, <laughs> and I bumped into a very, very distracted Lute Olson on the nice. way down to this interview. He was yeah. looking for the presidential suite at the hotel. And I was like, I don't know where that is, man. Um, but <laughs> Lute, Arizona basketball Lute, coach. One of my favorite uh, hoop coaches. Yeah. <laughs> and I go down there and you like kind of ended offering me the job, but like, it wasn't like formal yet. And I was like, okay, this is cool. You end up offering it to me, some like phone call or an email or whatever. And we start to talk about, you know, how much I'm going to get paid, that yep. little thing, right? And you're like, yeah, I'll send you an offer sheet like today or tomorrow, right? And I'm like, okay, great. And I don't hear for you, from you for three weeks. Come on. <laughs> no, I'm not exaggerating. Wow. <laughs> I must have been under a lot of stress. <laughs> I'm calling you. I'm emailing you. I'm like, I'm talking to people who know you, who I knew. And I'm like, should I be concerned? What's going on here? And they're like, oh, no, that, that sounds like Trey. Oh, <laughs> that, that, I'm embarrassed now. Eventually, you sent me the offer sheet and we worked it out. And I moved out to Salt Lake and backed out of the job that I had accepted <laughs> in an entirely different field. So, yeah, that's uh, that's how I got to Salt Lake. Do you ever regret that decision? Every day of my life. <laughs> exactly. No, never. Um, I mean, no, to, to be honest, never. Um, yeah, so I came out here and we worked together for I a remember that years. double tree. I remember, I remember having the a meal cookies. with you and Garth. Um, I remember Alave and Morales cutting Sebastian Velasquez's ponytail. Wow, rat tail. Rat tail in that elevator, in an elevator in the well. They grabbed him in the elevator, and then they I think they dragged him to a room. And <laughs> it's part all, all part of the rookie hazing. There you go. Yeah, that, Think, things that are no longer the allowed. Double Tree in Tucson was a good location, but not much else was good about it. I mean, it was a Double Tree. It was it's regular. Fine. It was a regular hotel. Um. So then you you joined us mid season ish, yeah, right after you graduated. Yeah, because I I graduated. I actually graduated a few months early, and one of the conditions for me coming out here was like Trey, I'm not coming out here until July because mm. I needed to hang out with my friends and do nothing for three months. And um, I got out here, and you had clearly been 
working yourself kind of to the bone. Mm. And so I, this is my first job out of school. And I'm like, okay, what, what is this going to be like? And I get out here and Trey's like, all right, Sam, like, let's get you set up. And after day one, you were kind of like, I'm going to take some time off. <laughs> <laughs> I just three in the fire. Huh? Yeah. And uh, no, it was fun. And so I stayed out here for a couple of years and that was mid 2012 to mid 14. Okay. So it was some good times. Yeah, 13 was a great year. Some memorable times. Um, a couple cup almost, final losses. Almost some winning times, but not yeah. quite. Um, and then, yeah, then moved on uh, for personal reasons. Um, and just moved across the country with my girlfriend, who's now my wife. And I think, I think um, y- your support of her career is admirable. Oh, thanks. I hope she makes me rethink some of my life choices. (laughs) (laughs) Um, How quickly did Jason Christ warm up to you? Uh, I mean, I don't know if that ever happened. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I remember I went up to Jason after MLS Cup in 2013 in like the hotel. There was like a party's not the right word. A a gathering. A gathering. Um, and I went up to him because all the rumors were swirling and I certainly didn't know where he was going, but it looked like he might be leaving. And so I went up to him and I was like, Hey Jay, like, you know, I know we've had a few ups and downs over the last year and a half, but I just wanted to say it was really cool to work work with you. And like, thank you for like letting me be around and not like completely blowing me off basically. And like putting up with my mistakes and all that stuff. And he looked at me and he kind of got this smile on his face and he was like, Sam, I was such a jackass to you, (laughs) but you handled it well. And I was like, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Anyway. Um, yeah. Uh, I talked to Jason a few months ago, actually not that long ago, but, um, yeah. So we, we got there, but yeah, I, I didn't know what I was doing and I was asking a lot of those guys and not offering them anything in return. So I'm appreciative of their patience. It's kind of the job. It is the job. Um, it was a weird job. So for those who don't know, basically what Trey and I would do is be like, Hey, player X or coach Y, like do this for me do this interview, do this appearance, do this whatever. And like, no, I don't have anything I can give you in return. You just got to do it for the good of the game. For the good of the club. Yep. And uh, they were mostly really good about it, honestly. No, we had a great group. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, did that for a few years and eventually ended up at MLS Soccer doing stuff for them and then moved to the Athletic a couple of years ago. What was the gap between RSL and MLS? Uh, Like five months. Okay. I worked at an advertising agency in North Carolina. Oh, that's right. I forgot about North Carolina. Awful. <laughs> I yeah. really hated it. Um, they put me in a basement, me and the other new hire who started a day before me. Yeah. And it was just so sad. <laughs> it was just so sad. Were there you were like no, a copy editor? There, what were you doing? I was doing all sorts of stuff. Trying so to write was, creative I was writing copy some copy. In a dark basement. I was writing press releases. I was doing account management. And it was just me and this guy, Andy in the basement of this office. And like, I remember like my first week there going upstairs. I I didn't know a soul in North Carolina and we had just moved there. So I'm trying to meet people and make friends and all this. And we go upstairs, me and Andy, and we're like, hey, we're going to go to lunch. Does anyone want to come? And they're all eating takeout Chipotle. (laughs) And I was just like, "Uh, oh, uh, all right, we'll see you later. (laughs) We're not included. So then did that and, and left and Simon Borg, or yeah, some, I'm sure some listeners will remember Simon. Uh, kind of threw me a lifeline and let me do some stuff for MLS. So I did some stuff for MLS. I worked at a restaurant for three years down there um, while I was doing MLS oh, stuff. Right. Um, and then, yeah, moved to the Athletic in April 2019. Wow. 
It's, it seems like you've been with the athletic longer than that. Does it? It does. It seems shorter to me. Yeah, I have a I have a distorted sense of time. Uh for mm-hmm. for various reasons. I feel like, like the pandemic did that to all of us. Yeah, right? certainly it's the pandemic. Um, you know, my two and a half years kind of away from uh RSL in Utah was was a little bizarre. Um and even you're even, a world traveler. And sure. even looking all the way back to World Traveler. <laughs> even looking all the way back to when we went from just being RSL to building the Monarchs, moving the Academy up, adding the Royals, like everything kind of became a blur there, uh, you know, for three or four seasons um, in a way that wasn't as mashed together in the pr- my previous, what, 10, well, 11 you, you years with like RSL. Three, three new teams, basically. Yeah, no, so, it was crazy. It's understandable. So, um, You've been back to Salt Lake, I think, once before now, uh, yeah. working on a Beckerman story, right? Yeah, yeah. What was that? What was that experience like coming back for the first time and uh, hanging out with Kyle and profiling his? Yeah, it was good. I mean, I was still like pretty. I was only like a year and a, not even a year and a half removed from working here at that time, mm. so it was cool to come so back was, and see a lot of old yeah. friends and um, you know, see like a lot of the guys on the team were the same. Uh, the coaching staff was the same as it was when I left for the most part. Um, so yeah, it was cool to come back and see a lot of friendly faces and a lot of friends. So that was fun. Um, I don't know. That experience was cool. Uh, I like to think that that story turned out pretty well, but, um, yeah, Kyle's, Kyle is Mr. RSL, man. Yeah. Like he's a legend. He's, he's, uh, he's way above top quartile. Yeah. He's top 1%. So (laughs) top one, I think you could say. Yeah. Um, but besides you, sorry, no, I didn't mean to offend you. He's fifty percent ahead of me. Well, you're you. So are you behind me? That's come on. Let's you're you're yeah. being ridiculous. We'll 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 do the RSL legend rankings in power, another power show. Rankings. <laughs> um. Yeah. So it was cool. Like it was cool to come back. I'm happy to be back now. I mean, I loved living here. Um, which was cool because I didn't know I had no idea what to expect when I moved to Utah. Yeah, I'd, I'd never been to Utah before I moved here. I either. think I'd been here like on a layover. So that doesn't really count. Um, But yeah, I had no idea what to expect. I didn't know anyone except for this one guy who couldn't send me an offer sheet for three weeks. Um, (laughs) That was you, Trey. Yeah, I know. I'm just you're you're giving me a vacant look. Um, Yeah, that happens. (laughs) (laughs) And so yeah, I mean, I loved it here. I'm happy to be back. I'm happy to see some folks again and get into the mountains hopefully a little bit, do a hike or two. So it's Um, cool. It's good to be back. Crown Burgers, you know. Yeah, Crown Burgers is. By the way, I think we figured out our lunch say, plans. Like, like everyone's got, like every area has like a specific regional food, right? Yeah. No one else has pastrami on cheeseburgers at fast food restaurants. That's like just Utah. Fry sauce too, by the way. I know they have that in Idaho too, but. Fry sauce is the worst. Wh- what? Yeah, I hate it. What? I, I mean, I'm not, I, wow. I'm not a fan of mayonnaise based anything. I mean, what if it's called aioli? <laughs> do you like aioli i bet you like aioli there are certain aiolis i will tolerate you know it's just mayonnaise right i do <laughs> i do I'm, I'm not dumb <laughs> um anyway fry sauce should be national that's my that's my take of the day fry sauce needs to be a national thing maybe international i mean mayonnaise is a very popular condiment in europe it is uh for your fries so is ketchup or for your and chips. put them together you got fry sauce. It's a beautiful thing. Um. Anyway, we've gone completely off the rails here. Um. Did we? Can you go completely off the rails if you were never on them to begin no, with? No, that's a good point. 
Sam, your experience. Well, before we get there, okay. Tell me, you know, in mid July twenty twenty one, from your vantage point, being as tied in as almost anyone is to this crazy American North American league that we love and hate and laugh at and despise and enjoy. <laughs> what is the external perception of what is happening with Real Salt Lake right now? Well, to the extent that there is one, right? Because RSL flies under the radar always. And that's been true since I was here, since before I was here. It's probably even more true now. Um, there's just the, the, it's the big question. It's the obvious one. It's who's going to be the owner of this team and what are they going to do? You know? And I think people are surprised with how the team has performed this year. Like everyone picked RSL to finish last. Yeah. And I don't know. I think I picked them to miss the playoffs, but I didn't pick them to finish last. So I have that going for me. But I thought that was a little harsh. It's yeah. pretty much the same group of players that made the playoffs in 18 and 19 and won games in both of those years, if I'm remembering That's correctly. Correct. Yeah. Um, and at the expense of LAFC, everybody's darling. LAFC in Portland, yeah. right? So, yeah, it's not like they're, they were beating slouches in the playoffs. Um, and it's pretty much the same group of players. They underperformed last year, I think everyone yeah. would agree with. Um, but it was a weird year, yeah. you know? I mean, and, look, I, I, I throw a lot of last year out yeah. in a lot of sports, and not uh, just this. Yeah, it was a weird, fluky year, and people responded to it differently, right? Yeah. And RSL had a hard time. And post-August 20. 20- eighth or whatever the, yeah. the team and was so now great. now they're back into kind of what their normal comfortable slot is which is like lower half of the playoff field in the okay. west right and and that feels about right to me it's a pretty well drilled group they they're actually getting production out of a striker now that isn't named demir krylock who's mm-hmm. you know shouldn't be playing striker in an ideal world um so i think i think it's been really positive in terms of what it's been on the field off the field is just big question marks right, right? and like Hopefully it gets resolved soon because living in this kind of strange purgatory, like pre Deloy, post Deloy, and like you're kind of just in between and you don't really know what's going on. Hopefully that ends and and there can be some clear direction going forward. Is it fair to say that what Elliot, Tony, Zarcos, the front office have done in that purgatory in terms of bringing in Rubio Rubin, Bobby Wood, Johnny Menendez, Tony Dakovich is surprising. Um, I'm a little surprised they had as they had as much uh, like over the book or whatever over budget monies. But you know you have mandatory targeted allocation money, so I guess they're probably dipping into that. Um, I mean it's hard to say. It's hard to really draw any conclusions, right? Rubin has been excellent, right? But I think he's outperformed expectations for anyone at the club, even. Right, the other guys haven't really played, or in some cases haven't even arrived in Salt Lake yet. Right, so I think it's pretty premature to like draw conclusions there. Okay, but I would say that that they mostly look promising. Yeah, in terms of Bobby Wood and Menendez, just like their resumes. Well, I think the team suddenly can get deeper, which it needed to do. Yeah, and then that depth is augmented by not losing Albert or the Olympic. Yeah, eligible players. Right, which you expected you know back in february yeah, March, and that depth is going to be super important because there's going to be a billion games coming up in a short amount of time every, not just for our every saturday every, wednesday every right yeah, yeah yeah so that depth is going to be hugely important um academy kids just won the u15 this whole mls next thing is kind of new territory nobody really knows 
exactly what that MLS, I guess, second league is going to look like, what right. the ramifications for MLS run USL teams are um, yep. for next year. But the clearly the identity of the club in a lot of ways is that player development paradigm. Yeah, and it's interesting with RSL because everyone's like, oh, the vaunted RSL Academy. You got to say vaunted in front of academies. That's that's the rule, I think. And I'm not trying to come out here and bag on these guys because yeah. I think they've, they've done well by any measure, right? Justin Glad has done well. Aaron Herrera is, I think, doing probably even better. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you had some guys that you thought were going to hit, like Bofo Salcedo, um, Danny, Danny Acosta. Yeah. Corey Baird, like, did hit, right? Like, yeah, he got outper- rookie of the year. He outperformed expectations, right, after being a four-year player at Stanford. Yeah. Um, but now he's gone, right? And so I think those those guys didn't, as a group, they didn't quite hit the heights that many hoped them to. Sure. Um, none of them have been sold on. Um, obviously, Bofo's playing in Mexico, but he yeah. left for free. Yeah. So I'm curious because when I look at the smaller budget teams in MLS, and right now RSL is one of those, right? I think they're around like the two thirds range, right? Lower middle That's class, correct. if you want yeah, to call like it that. Yeah, like seventeenth out of twenty seventh. Yeah, like so they're not they're not scraping the bottom of the barrel or anything like that, but they're definitely not at the top. So if you're going to be in that range and you're going to be competitive, you have to do something else well, right? And for RSL, very clearly that lane is the academy, mm-hmm. right? And and the same with like Philly, right? Yep. Who won the supporter shield sure. last year, and you see Philly with Brendan Aronson and Mark McKenzie, those guys made best 11, right? They got sold for six plus million dollars each yeah. in the winter. RSL hasn't had an academy guy hit like that. Correct. Right? And I think for the club to really like kind of take the next step, they need to take, they need to have an academy guy hit like mm-hmm. that. So I think that's the next step for RSL. I do like that they have a clear plan in that regard, yeah. right? Because I looked at some of these teams, you know, San Jose. So just, like a quick little backstory spend a similar amount of money as Salt Lake mm. right but they are worse historically right they I think they've made the playoffs two or three times in the last 10 years they won the supporter shield in 2012 um, and since then they've either been for last team in the playoffs first team out of the playoffs or twice last in the western conference and they don't have a lane they're just kind of like out here being a low budget team and they're like not really like, okay, we're not going to lean really hard into an academy. We're not going to like lean really hard into data, right? They like, they're not leaning hard in any one way. They're just trying to be like a regular team that spends less money than everybody else. And trying the to result, catch lightning in a bottle. And the results are predictable when yeah. you do that, right? It's, it's hard to do that and to succeed. <laughs> so the next step for RSL, I like the path they're on. I think the academy... It hasn't produced a star yet, yeah. right? But it has produced solid contributors, and that's good. That's a really good baseline. And so if they can build on that, if they can start to produce a star every two, three, four years, mm-hmm. and that guy sticks around for a couple of years and then maybe gets moved on, then that's great. And then I think you can kind of elevate. Um, and I think they've done decent with their foreign signings. It's kind of weird, right? Because you've unearthed some real diamonds, mm-hmm. right? Like Demir Krylock being an, sure. an excellent example, right? Um, of a guy who who was brought in not on a huge deal, not a huge nope. profile, but has come in and been a really really good player, con- really consistent for what is this his fourth this is season? His fourth season, yeah. Um, so that's been awesome, right? Um, and I think when Ruznak came in and when Savarino came in and they were on pretty low numbers and they were outperforming those yep. significantly. Um, so that was good, but you know you've had some misses, so it's I think it's been kind of like you know in the middle mm. in terms of RSL's performance in that. 
but they've outperformed in terms of the academy relative to the rest of the league. And I think that sort of allows them to, to be where they are, which is kind of, you know, competing for that fourth, fifth, sixth spot in the West in, in normal years. Do you ever look at, like I do, at some of these current salary numbers, purchase numbers? The economics of this league have changed, obviously, exponentially in a pretty short period of time. Because, you know, you look at some of this stuff and you say, oh, this guy makes X. And I'm like, that's twice as much as we paid Sabo. Yeah, that's no, uh, crazy. You know, and Sabo was the 39th highest paid DP. <laughs> in 2012 or 13, whatever year we kind of looked don't at think those were, rankings. I don't think there were 39 DPs. I remember, I remember sitting with Garth, whatever year that both Javi and Sabo were both DPs, they were 38 and 39 in the entire league. Is that right? And there might have only been 39. Um, yeah. But now you look at like some of the player options for what you would consider pretty, I shouldn't say pedestrian, but kind of average starters. Yeah. Yeah, contributors like, like oh, regular contributors, wow. and yeah. and I get that MLS has, I guess, in many ways tripled in size in a pretty short period of time. Yeah. you know, probably twelve years. Um, certainly a more active player on the global market. There's more interest in American players. Conversely, there's more there's more jobs for the global talent marketplace to find here. Mm-hmm. But I guess my <laughs> long-winded way of getting around to the question is from an economic standpoint like does this stuff like still kind of shock you sometimes when you're covering all the random stories that that you cover in this league and the bigger question i really want to ask is is how is covering soccer in 2021 how is journalism in 2021 different than it even was only a handful of years ago those are two very different questions. I'll start with the first one. Okay. Um, yeah, some of those numbers shock me, right? You see guys making 700, 800 grand. And, <laughs> you know, I think back to those RSL teams that I was around for, right? You mentioned Javi and Saba, but further down the pecking order, like a guy like Ned Grabovoid, did he ever make more than $150,000 when he was here? I don't think so. Like probably not. And he was better than most of these guys that are getting these big contracts. Sure. Um, so I, I, on the one hand, I, I see that and I'm like, man, I bet those guys wish they were 10 years younger than they are. Yeah. Um, <laughs> on the other, it's, I, I don't know, MLS is in a weird space because I, I kind of rail against the league a lot for not spending more money, mm-hmm. right? Because they talk a pretty big talk about being a league of choice, one of the best leagues in the world, and they, they don't spend in that same galaxy yeah. as, as those actual leagues. But having said that, they do spend enough money to be a decent league. I think the way some of that spending is structured doesn't make a lot of sense. Mm. So you have really, really top-heavy spending, right? So, you know, my colleague Paul Tenorio and I, we did this. We went through these numbers. And I think it was something like, I think think we did the top five earners on each team. Yeah, And like some of the teams are paying 70% of their overall wage bill to their top five guys. Which like it's the okay. Rudy Gobert model. Is that right? <laughs> well, he makes thirty five percent of the Jazz's cap. Really? Yeah. Well, Depoy. One time I saw him at uh Tejas de Brazil. Oh nice. At Gateway Mall. Okay. It was weird. It was really weird. It was like this giant French guy <laughs> wearing socks and sandals, eating lunch by himself on a weekday at a Brazilian steakhouse. Um it was yeah, I think he was a rookie. Okay. It was kind of sad. Cause you're like, man, it's a lonely this existence. guy looks lonely, but 
you know, things have worked out for him, okay? <laughs> Three-time DPOI. He probably eats a Brazilian steakhouse whenever he wants, man. So the spend isn't really allocated evenly across rosters, and I think you see that, right? So you have some players who are excellent, excellent players in MLS, and they can take over games in a moment. Um, you know, Carles Heel in New England sure. is probably, probably the MVP frontrunner. Yeah, at this I think point. right now. And, and, and he's fantastic, right? And you have him playing next to guys who are not as fantastic or against guys who yeah. are not as fantastic. So there's still like a pretty wide disparity in a lot of positions in the league and even in the same games. Um, and I think that, you know, that's a story we always see come up when you're talking about Champions League and MLS versus League MX. Yeah. Because the spend there, it's more evenly allocated across the roster. They're spending more on guys At a 15, higher level, yeah. Too. Right, but it's more even as well, yeah. And so you don't get those big drop offs that sometimes you do in MLS. And I think that's an area that the league hopefully will improve. Yeah, I think the way that they structure things with all of the different buckets of spending, so designated players and young money players and targeted allocation money players, it's just kind of silly. I think it's unnecessary. I think it's sort of designed so that the league can exert control over individual teams and kind of like have this centralized model where MLS can say, hey, like that doesn't work for us. That spend doesn't work for us. We don't want you overpaying to mess it up for everybody else. Mm. But I actually think, I actually think it, that the, the system of buckets is, has led to more of that. Okay. Because um, that used to be the argument I remember 10 years ago, like if Garth wanted to give Nat Borchers a raise yeah. because the cap was going up, yeah. the argument from people at the league was you well if you give him a raise then every center back asks for a right raise. yeah and, and if nap orchards is a eighty thousand dollar a year player just because the cap goes up doesn't make him a hundred and thirty thousand dollar a year player sure and and so i, I don't which know which is a flimsy argument I think that but, that attitude has evolved a little bit okay but i think basically what you've seen is like you have these buckets now and so sometimes and this is changing a bit but sometimes it's more efficient for a team to pay a guy six hundred thousand dollars than it is to pay him three hundred in terms of what his cap hit is. Because of the buckets? Yeah, because like the way TAM works Got and the GAM works. That's, that's and kind of a like, fascinating comment. Um, and it's not quite as true as it was three years ago. Yeah. Right? So that's good. But I, th I still think it would be, you'd have better outcomes if you just said, hey, you have a salary floor at whatever, you have a salary ceiling at whatever, and you spend however the hell you want. And like maybe you have one or two exceptions for a DP, right? Where guys don't count sure. the full, full boat or whatever. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think that would lead to, to kind of more efficient outcomes on the field. I, I, that's, and, and it would be more interesting, I think, in terms of allowing teams more creativity and freedom to build the roster. So that's a long answer for the no, first part of the question. No, it's good. Well, let, let, let me, let's stay there for a second, and then we'll go to the next part. But, like, so do you think a guy like Albert Rusnak is unfairly, or fairly, criticized, critiqued, under a microscope because he is RSL's highest paid player, two point two million. Yeah, what is he? Final like year 15th of a deal. Highest paid player in the league. Or yeah. Like that. yeah. But I think if you look at the overall RSL salary budget, there is a a more equitable evenness uh to how that money's distributed. Because Albert or Albert's at two point two. I think Demir is right around a million. I think Everton is right around a million. I don't know off the top of my head what like Justin Glad's new deal is, but sure. you've kind of you, you know, you bring in Wood who was making 3 million euros a year for the last like four seasons. I think he's at 900, 800,000. I think like I reported that. what his number was and okay. I don't even remember it. So, so anyway, but like RSL goes down the spine and you've got, you've got, I think a, 
a more even allocation, yeah. a less top heavy yeah, no, roster. RS, RSL wasn't one of those seventy percent teams. Sure, I think they were probably more like forty-five, fifty. And and as we sit here and record this, RSL has only won two of its last nine games, mm-hmm. both wins against Vancouver, which is a little bit of an indictment. But I think in seven of those, or in six of those other seven, not against Vancouver, they held they held a one nothing lead. They're very competitive, and um. You know, there's a lot to build on. Now, I think the current feeling is that RSL did not take advantage of a home-heavy glut. Yeah, they've been really the good on the schedule. Rev and and kind of not Well, so and, and you know, we're going to find out in July and August, they they have a tough schedule and a lot of tough road games. Yeah, so we'll see. Um, so now, as we've, we've just spent the last, you know, 10 minutes of, of you exercising your um, yeah. ability as a capologist. How does, spot. how does that translate into <laughs> being a journalist? A <laughs> uh, how does that translate into being a journalist? Um, in the year of our Lord, 2021. I'm MLS rules. I rail against them all the time in a weird way. They made my career. Okay. Like I was able, I thought my, I made your career. Well, Sam. yeah, you did. But my career is a journalist, right? Got it. Um, like I think I put a priority on understanding them and, Thanks to some of my experience in RSL, I, I had a leg up on understanding them and yeah. a bunch of different people. And I think I was able to explain them in a way that made sense to people in ways that they hadn't made sense before. Um, and so I think that they helped my own personal career. But During a time of great change yes, and evolution. <laughs> yes. But that's not what this is about. I mean, I think if there's a lesson um, for MLS, and this is something that I talk about with Paul Tenorio on our podcast all the time, something we write Allocation about. Allocation disorder. Something we write about all the time. And it's just like, look around North American sports. Look around European soccer. People love the numbers, man. Yeah. Like, they love talking about it. They love debating it. It's good content. They love going in and messing around with trade machines and mm-hmm. talking about, oh, Team X has X amount of cap space left. Who can they go sign? Which max free agent can the can NBA team ABC go out and get? Right, like who's in the running for these players that might be on the market? Basically, the transaction is greater than the action. Mm. When it well, comes this to is sports. NBA hot stove yeah. offseason for People sure. Right, love the transaction. And and why does why does the NBA system of Byzantine cap rules yeah. get a free pass compared to MLS? Well, because uh, because I think the NBA is transparent with it. Mm. I don't think it's the fact that MLS rules are complicated. Right. Clearly, NBA is complicated. MLB is complicated. Yep. NFL is, all of these are pretty complicated. Right. But the problem is, is we're missing so much of the data in MLS. Got it. Right. So, like, we have so salary, we sort of have the salary numbers, but they're like kind of, they're kind of the salary numbers. Yeah. They're but you don't really know. Yeah. And, and we don't have the cap hits. We don't know how much allocation money teams have. We don't know how they're using it. Um, we don't know. I mean, there's so much we don't know that like doesn't like, so I'm, I'm thinking about doing a piece now that like, okay, which trades would make sense for MLS teams? And I have no idea what anyone's cap situation is. Yeah. I have a vague idea of, okay, team X might be up against it a little bit. Team Y might have some room, but I have no idea how much. Mm. And the crazy thing is the teams don't even know. They obviously know their own situation, but there's no centralized database that that's run by the league that, that, a GM can plug into and say, okay. So that information isn't shared. It's not shared. Like now you can go ask, right? And GMs have good relationships with other GMs or GMs have good relationships with people at the league and they can go figure it out, right? Um, But I think if it was publicly available, if it was centralized, 
yeah, it's a little self-serving. It would make my job more interesting and easier to do, and I could do more with it, right? But I think it would also be service for the fans sure. and service for the hardcore people. And maybe you turn some casual people into hardcore people. And I, I don't know. I just don't see a good reason to not open this thing up yeah. in this way. And, and I mean, to even go a step further, you look at the Miami scandal, yep. right? And for those who don't know, they basically had five designated players on their roster last year and you're only allowed to have three and they were cheating and they were hiding it. And they got caught. Does that happen if all this stuff's public? Like maybe it no. does. It, it might, but it's probably harder to pull it off. Right, because there there are so many different things that you can like. Soccer is it's pretty easy to launder money in yeah, soccer sure. with transfer market and agent fees and all the different countries that people are coming from and all that stuff. There are places to hide money. Yeah, but you know it's probably harder. And and so I just, I don't know I just don't see a good reason why the league doesn't do it. This is something I talk about with people at the league. Sure, some people want to. Yeah, there. Yeah, but um, they haven't broken through just yet. Yeah, I mean, look, the league's 26 years old. It started out as a very, very, very controlling, centralized entity. And it's evolved over time. And I think in a lot of ways, the the player pool is sort of probably not the last bastion, but the most pronounced bastion of that kind of centralized control. Yeah, I mean, I, my whole thing is like, all right, because there's this tension in MLS, between owners, mm -hmm. between people at the league, between people at clubs. Like, all right, there's the slow and steady model that MLS has used, and, and used well for 25 I maintain years. it would not have survived had it I, not adhered I, I, to that. I think that's as close to fact as, like, an yeah. opinion can be, right? Yep. Like, I, I would 100% agree with you there, right? Yeah. And I think it's the model's been good. I mean, look, look at what it's done for the business. Sure. Right? In terms of the expansion fees, in terms of the sit, like... I mean, I was there when when there were three people supporting ten teams, and yeah, and the and, league. And now we're talking about Real Salt Lake going for three hundred and fifty or four hundred million. Yeah. When what was it? Fifteen, I guess, seventeen years ago, the Dave Checkets bought in for yep. seven and a half. Yep, exactly. That's crazy return. Yep. Right, and and so clearly something has worked. Right, but the league is now. I think I think it's gotten well past a point where you can step off the brake a little bit. Yeah. Right. And you can let teams go and let them run because there are teams that want to be ambitious and there are teams bucking up against the constraints. Right. And well, there's a school of thought that, well, not everyone's doing that. And we want to maintain a level of competitive balance. And okay, I'm, I'm fine with, with, with a level of competitive balance, but let the big teams be big yeah. and let everyone else sink or swim. If they want to catch up, they can. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that's a big part of it. And like, I, I, I don't know, I'm going all over the place here, yeah, so I good. apologize. But like, I look at Atlanta and their success. On the field, yes, they've had trouble there the last couple of years, yeah. but they started fantastic. And, sure. and off the field, they've been incredible, right? In a market that people were skeptical about. Well, Atlanta's history as a, yeah. as, as a sports city for a fan, yeah. for culture yeah. was not there. No, and, and they are awesome in terms of attendance yeah. in terms of that team mattering in town in terms of local relevance all of that stuff it's fantastic it's awesome to see but okay when i look at it how did they pull that off right well it's a number of different factors there's no one thing but the one thing that overarches all of it in my opinion yeah. is the owner arthur blank who owns the atlanta falcons as well treated atlanta united exactly the same way he treats the atlanta falcons sure he treated it like a big league franchise it was not a. It was not a step. Not, it wasn't step a brother. secondary thing, yeah. right? And 
so many owners, especially owners that have multi-sport or multi-team right. ownership setups, it, that hasn't been the case. You know, I'm, I'll, I'll mention the Quakes again because they're top of mind for me right now. But John Fisher owns yeah. the Quakes. He also owns the A's, which to be fair, you, you could probably argue he treats the A's the same way as he treats the Quakes. <laughs> but uh, nothing about that team is big league. Nothing. They have a stadium. It's fine. It's in a fine location. The roster is, I don't know, fine, I guess. Like, everything's just fine. And they're cool just being Is this whatever. the dog meme surrounded by fire? Like, this is fine? No, it's not quite on fire. <laughs> it's it's more just like kind of like, it would be like a gray overcast cloudy day. Okay. And it's just like, yeah, whatever. Like, could this be better? Sure. But like, whatever. It's not the end of the world. We'll just keep on doing this, I guess. And, and like, you know, New England, right? Yep. Owned by the Crafts, who own the Patriots. One of the most successful organizations in world sports. Sure. The Revs, they've they've upped recently. Yeah. But like for the longest it's time, start contract. It was a it was nothing to them, and they did nothing with it. Yeah. And that pains me because so many of these markets are big cities and are cities that love soccer. And I I get on my soapbox on this because I'm from Chicago area, and the fire for a long time really. You know, they were they were this when RSL came into the league, but or the first few years of RSL's existence, they were one of the better clubs in MLS, on the field and off. Yeah. Making the playoffs every year, they drew pretty well. They had good players. You know, they weren't a big deal in Chicago ever, right? But as far as MLS teams went in the mid-2000s, they yeah. were a pretty big deal, yeah. right? And they've totally atrophied in terms of what they are on the fields and off the fields since then. And now they're trying to correct things again. but. It's just so many of these teams just never really tried that hard. Yeah. Like, and I'm not saying the individual employees or anything, right? Because they did. Sure. But like at an ownership level, at a league level, they weren't, in my opinion, quite ambitious enough. Mm. And, and there was like almost this like little, I don't know, there, it's the memories of 2000, of 2001 when teams are contracting. Yeah. And the league was on its deathbed sure. and it might have folded, right? And it sort of did, like, they drew up bankruptcy papers, right? <laughs> um, like, those, I think, are too front of mind in how the league operates today. Mm. And you have this new class of owner coming in, right? And pretty soon RSL might have one of these owners, sure. right? Which is really exciting, by the way, yeah. for Salt Lake fans. But you have this new class of owner coming in in Orlando, the Wilf family, right? Spending $500 million. They're the owners of the Vikings. They're spending $500 million by Orlando City and the Orlando Pride in the stadium, right? You have David Tepper, who's the richest NFL owner, right? <laughs> this is insane. Like he's buying a team, a $325 million expansion slot in Charlotte, right? Um, he's got people buying PSLs for a soccer team. Yeah. To you, pay for the renovations. You have, you have LAFC who have been really ambitious with yeah. what they've done. Like it, it goes, Atlanta, I mentioned, right? Yeah. Miami has been a mess. But it's not because they haven't been ambitious, you know? Right. Even Cincinnati, right? A small market. Very ambitious. Pushing, man. Yeah. And, and I think they're, you're getting closer and closer to the point where you're going to have a critical mass of owners who are like, enough is enough. We bought into this league for hundreds of millions of dollars before we even hired our first employer before or signed we our spent first player. Half a billion on a stadium. Yes. Yeah. And, and we are going to run this now. Yeah. Like, get out of the way. Dallas, Vancouver, like is our time. You don't cover this anymore. We're not there yet, but we're getting closer. And I'm curious to see when that, you know, yeah. When Look, we reach that I think point. RSL has always been ambitious in different ways. Obviously, I think Dave Checkett's 
audacity for the vision. Um, getting the stadium done was its own chapter of, of, of craziness. You look at the relevance that this club has and can have in this market, being a big fish in a small pond. You look at the infrastructure. That's where Deloitte put his, yeah. I think, ambition um, is but, creating but that pipeline. It's a different level, though. Sure. I, I think it, it, I would say RSL's ambition has been placed, executed differently than, than many of those bigger markets that you mentioned. Yeah, I would argue with that too. Or I would agree but, with that. But like RSL's picked lanes, right? Sure, sure. And like that's really important. And RSL. But for, like you said, another owner comes in yeah. and you need one or two difference makers to put this group over the top. Mm -hmm. I think you're well positioned. Yeah, I would agree. And, and, and we'll see. Maybe a new owner does that. Maybe a new owner does not yeah. do that, right? We don't know. We don't know who the new owner is going to be. Right. We don't know when they're going to be, right? There's a lot of unanswered questions there. But. I would just like to see the league kind of step back a little bit, let the truly ambitious teams be truly ambitious. And if you want competitive balance, cool. You can, there are still ways to safeguard that a little bit. Yeah. It would be less, but you can maintain it if these other teams go out and get it. You know? I mean, if these, if these other teams try and match. Because the thing about it, man, and, and like this is something that I haven't mentioned yet. It's like, all right, you want to get more people to stadiums? You want to get more people watching on TV? Yeah. There's an element of you got to spend money to make money here. Sure. Right? And like the status quo, I think we're seeing how that's going to go. In new markets, it can work fantastically. But in the old established markets, yeah. the ones that we've been talking about, Boston, New England, Houston, Dallas, Denver. whatever, Denver, like it isn't really going to work. Like maybe if the team's better, if they have a good year, more people will come out. Right? But the, yeah. the baseline's not great. Yeah. And, and okay, so how do you fix those markets? You need to be bold. Right. And you need to take some risk and maybe you need to lose a lot of money. Yeah. Right. And like, and then that's the weird thing. It's me spending other people's money. Sure. Right. And they've, these people have lost a lot of money yeah. on this stuff already. Yeah, sure. Right. Year over year anyway. They're all different kinds of accounting mechanisms. Right. Right. Ways that that, maybe it helps them with their taxes and the valuation's gone way up and all that stuff. So it's not just, you know, it's not the same as you and me going to a casino and losing a hundred bucks. <laughs> But, um, but it probably isn't fun. Right. Sure. <laughs> um, so, but at, at the same time, I think if you want to take this thing to the next level, then you need to, you need to go and be bold, right? And a little bit bolder than MLS has been. And if you don't, that's fine, right? Well, it's not fine, but like, it's not what I would do. It's not what I think anyone wants. But if you don't, and if this is the model you want, okay, I think it'll work long, long term. But stop talking the mess that you've been talking mm. about, oh, we're going to be one of the best leagues in the world in the next five years. Yeah. It's like, no, you're not. Not the way you're, not the way you're behaving right now. So you love the ambition. You love the, I think, I mean, you look at what's happening in Austin. You look at the new stadiums in Cincinnati, Columbus. Yeah. Um, those are phenomenal. Those are signals of Man, ambition, right? the stadiums right? are Hasms, crazy in wills. MLS. I don't oh, know yeah. if people really understand this. Like the stadiums in MLS, in England, they're probably nicer. In Germany, they're probably nicer. That's it. And that might be it. Yeah. Like. No, the fan experience looks incredible. And the, the facilities, by yeah, the way. Yeah. M probably only the Premier League has nicer facilities than MLS. Well, and a lot of people that come through here and look at Harriman, they say, yeah, maybe Man City's is nicer. Who else? You know? Sure, there's some attention to detail and some other Tottenham things. Tottenham has a really nice one. Liverpool yeah. just opened a new one. Sure. And so they're doing the same thing that MLS teams are. And by the way, RSLs is not the nicest in the MLS. No. And it's not really considered that by anyone. Like, m maybe not even top five at this point. 
not to bag on it, but like all of these places have insane bells and whistles. Yeah, and, like, and RSL's missing the bells and whistles, yeah. but I think when it you depends. look at the number of fields, the indoor depends outdoor combination, right? turf grass, yeah, what you want. There's opportunity, and I think there's a lot. There's a foundation there to, to add some of that of stuff. Yeah. So you've got the ambition piece. You've got uh, obviously a lot of exciting new ownership groups kicking the tires. I do. I mean, as a lifelong NFL guy, I I do like the concept of preserving parity. I don't want to be the Premier League where six teams have a chance at being in the top four every year. I mean, I think that's a little overstated in the Premier League. Okay. Like, look at West Ham this that's year. That's fair. Look at Everton, okay. right? Like, it's. I think it's a little bit more than that. And But I do hear you, right? Yeah. You don't, you, that's not, I don't think anyone really wants that. Like, I like this year's NBA playoffs. I like Milwaukee and Atlanta and Utah and Denver yeah, but having like, a chance. But most people don't. Look at the ratings. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, for 11 million people to watch that game the other night and still have that be like a decade-long low or whatever yeah. in an NBA Finals game three, yeah, that's insane to me. Well, like, so we, and, and, we say and, we want parity. But, right? but this goes we back. We say we want balance. Stars but we, but drive we love the dynasties. Revenue. We love the dynasties, Trey. And like I say that, and like we can rail we against hate it. watch the dynasties. Yeah, we do. Yeah, but hate watching right. is still watching. Yeah, right. Think about the Patriots and Tom Brady, and now Tom Brady with the Bucks, and yeah. like like the NFL is a different beast entirely. So it's almost not even worth talking about. But like, look at LeBron and the Lakers. Look at the Warriors and Steph Curry. Mm-hmm. People tuned in for those games. It's true. Like maybe. I wouldn't even be shocked if the Nets Bucks series ends up similar ratings to the finals, right? Because people were like, "Oh, KD, yeah. like you know, and Harden." And well, and like, and look, NBA ratings—it's hard to kind of parse some of this out because of the pandemic, and also because of when LeBron moved west, it significantly sure, sure. changed their but, their but average. What ratings. what I'm trying to say is like, yes, I would like competitive balance to be maintained too. I think that makes for a more interesting league in general. But the stars are going to go to the big markets. No, not even necessarily. Like, I, I think it's just, I think it's just, we, we, as fans, overstate this, right? Because everyone says these things that we're saying. Oh, we want competitive balance. You can't just be one team all the time. Yeah. But like, you look at the data, and when it's one team all the time, when it's a dynasty, that's when the most number of people are tuning in. Yeah. But so, is, is anybody in MLS driving ratings? No. Right. <laughs> no. So there's an so, opportunity. But like, Look who did, right? Like Zlatan yeah. and LAFC. Like Can you the, imagine Balotelli in Salt Lake? Not to pull a Dunny idea um, out at you. But no, I, I literally can't. That would have been the most amazing thing ever. That would have been fireworks, that's for sure. And maybe it would have turned out sort of like... Um, you think Balotelli would have liked Salt Lake? No. But Balotelli... Driving around the mountains in a, in a, camo, a camo Bentley, camo Lambo, shooting yeah, fireworks camo. out his window, starting uh, some forest fires. That'd be fantastic. It'd be fan- walking a- walking around, you know, Temple Square, handing out hundred dollar <laughs> bills to people. It'd be amazing. That would uh, that would get the casuals to perk up a little bit. Ah uh, man, that guy's a character. So obviously, you have strong opinions. You have strong ideas. You're you're yeah, I'm a genius. You're tied in. Yeah. <laughs> what is it like being a journalist now compared to five years ago? Uh, it's a hard question for me to answer because I, I wasn't really a full journalist five years yeah, ago. Yeah, but you've, I mean, you covered the fire before you came here. You came yeah, on the team side, the then you went back in. I was yeah. working for the league. So yeah. like, I can't, you know, there were certain things that I could never write about, mm. right? 
Um, and that's fine. It's not like, yeah. like I understand. I always understood. Like I was not mad about that. If I was running the league website and there was some like little a-hole reporter trying to like break stories that aren't going to paint me or my teams in a negative light, I would be like, no, don't put that on the league website. <laughs> right? Like I would have done the same exact thing. Um, so it's hard to say. I mean, I think I'm very lucky to work at The Athletic, to work at a place where uh, quality matters more than quantity. Yeah. Um, Which is shocking that that's a revolutionary idea. Well, it's very much opposite of the model that yeah. everywhere else runs. Right? right. And that's the luxury of being a subscription site and having subscribers. Yeah. So thank you for subscribing. Yeah. Trey and everyone who listens and is subscribing. Um, so I, I'm, I don't know. I mean, I'm very lucky in that regard. I would say, uh, I mean, it's like being a journalist. I don't know. It's a lot of phone calls. I'm a yeah. big phone call guy. Yeah. Which is very rare for someone my age. Yeah. Most people just text. Yeah. So like but my, text loses translation, right? Well, it's or just, context. if you're trying to get people to tell you stuff that they probably shouldn't be telling you yeah. and don't have much reason to yeah. tell you. Don't want a written record. Well, no, and it's not even, it's not even that. <laughs> it's not even that. Um, like people are going to be less open over text yeah, sure. than in a phone call. And I don't know if I'm going to sit here and be typing on my phone for like, I don't know. I, if I, if I'm going to have a three hour text conversation yeah. and I can instead have, have a 15, 15 minute, minute phone call, yeah, exactly. I'm going to take the phone call every time. Yeah. So yeah, it's a lot of phone calls. It's just talking to people. It's who refuses to, to take your calls right now. Who refuses to take my calls? Um, Elliot fall. <laughs> Trey, don't don't Trey, take it personally. Trey Dude, I always pick up when you call me. Um, you do. You didn't know. You're one. Of, you're one of the five. When I worked for you, you didn't. <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, you picked up for me way more than you picked up for almost anyone else yeah. back in those days. Yeah, those are stressful times. Um. Yeah. You know. Get pulled in a lot of directions. You yeah. Can't, yeah. Yeah. You just going off bounty hunting. <laughs> it's an inside joke. Maybe someone will get that that's listening to this show. Uh, who doesn't answer my calls? I mean, I don't know. There's some people that are mad at me, but I don't really want to. I don't really want to out them. <laughs> yeah, I guess what I don't understand, like I don't understand the aversion to transparency, to discussion, to debate. I don't think insecurity. Like, you it's know, insecurity. you and That's I have opposite is. views on Stephen A. Smith. Like I hate the whole embrace debate replacement journalism, sure. but I think for our sport, which is still very much in growth mode, education mode, and is in dire need of access, and and COVID has. I think severely crippled for obvious reasons, the access part of the you know last 18 months uh, in our sport that we have to get back to that. Like, uh, and I, who's, who's going to do that? I mean, like I daily agree, newspapers dude, I agree, but it's a little overstated too. I think it's a new world. I think journalists, it's on us to figure out how to still tell compelling stories without being able to sit down with people in person, right? Or without being able to hang out with them all day. And there are ways to do it, right? Like, so it's like, you know, people bemoan, and this was a big thing when like uh, Major League Baseball closed right. their clubhouses, sure. right? At the start of COVID. It was like, oh, you're never going to be able to build the relationships and all of that. And like, to a degree, sure. But also like, it's just going to be different and harder. Yeah. Right. But if you work at it, you can still do it. And, and so, I don't know, there's a million good stories around MLS, you know, there are a million good human stories. There are a million good stories about like the direction of the league. There are a million good stories about, um, you know, 
some of the controversies that sure. have been happening recently, right? Yeah. And so I think it's just on us to tell them. And it's hard because it's a small group of people that cover this league. Sure. It's not, you know, I look at the athletics NBA coverage, mm. for instance, or the UK, the EPL coverage. Yeah. And I get so jealous. So jealous. Yeah. And uh, like, like, I'm not bashing my employer. I understand why we don't have an MLS beat writer in every single market, right? That's yeah. not an, a business decision that makes any sense right now. Um, but I look at it in the NBA and it's like, all right, you have a beat reporter for every single team. Some have two, yeah. right? And then you have national writers on top of that. And like, they are able to do so much cool stuff mm -hmm. because there's just like a lot of bodies and there are a lot of stories and they're hitting every single one of them. And sometimes I look at them and I roll my eyes and I'm like, really? Like, we're getting this micro on stuff, mm. right? And in MLS, we don't have that yet. We don't have that critical mass of journalists, right? The, the, the number of people that cover this league on a full-time basis, whether it's broadcast or written word, I mean, it can't be that much more than 25, hmm. right? Yeah. Like, does that sound accurate yeah, to you? I think it, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's, it hurt, it breaks my heart in a way that it's that low, but I think it's probably accurate. Yeah. And probably some of those 25 are league employees, mm. right. And working for MLSsoccer.com. Sure. Yeah. And so we just don't have the healthy ecosystem yet. It's yeah. better than it used to be yeah. and it's growing, but it's slow. And the way media is, who knows what that growth will be going forward. If there will be that growth going forward, it's in a lot of ways, it's dependent on how the league grows. Right. So, um, I don't even know what you asked. No, me, it's good. I, how like, is being I'm, a journalist I'm, different? Like, because of my experience, I'm trying to think, okay, how can teams do a better job to foster that, that ecosystem? Well, I have thoughts on that. Well? Well, it's simple, man. No one should ever leak anything to me. If you're a team and you're leaking something to me, you're doing a bad job. I shouldn't say that. No, that's not true. It's not true. But you should be like the majority of your signings should be broken by the local newspaper or the local TV station or the local radio host. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if they never call you. Call them. Be proactive. Too many MLS teams make it too hard and they're, it's too much gatekeeping and they're not proactive. Mm. And if you're not going to be proactive and you're not going to try and do something differently, you're not going to get different results. Yeah. And if you want coverage in your local paper, if you want coverage on your local TV station, you need to really push and like you need to find a way to sit down with that reporter or that editor or whoever and get them to buy into soccer. And even if it's just chipping away, chipping away, chipping away, because I'm not going to sit here and say it's easy. We had an easy time of it in Salt Lake comparatively. The team was good. People attended. People yeah. were interested. The jazz sucked. Uh, and the Utes and the Cougars weren't very good at that time. Right. So RSL was kind of the hot game in town. Um, and so that made our lives a lot easier, right? If you go to New York, like sure. if you go to LA, I mean, we were just talking about it with Ryan before the show, the LA, the Clippers and the angels can't get covered. Right. Right. So you're going to cover the galaxy and LAFC. Well, when we used to talk about it when I was at the league, you know, um, Red Bull, Metro Stars, whatever yeah, they they're were. they're a non-entity. Same with Even NYCFC. when they're red hot, they're Doesn't the matter. ninth team Doesn't in matter. the market. Yeah. yeah, it's like the Islanders can't get coverage. <laughs> they just made the Eastern Conference Final right. or whatever conference final. I don't know what they did with the NHL playoffs. It wasn't Eastern and Western Conferences. Regardless, <laughs> they just made the they just made the semifinals of the just playoffs. Just make up some old uh, Canadian sounding well, name. I think it was the, you know, the Central Division presented by Discover or something like that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Uh, anyway, they made it, they were in the final four, um, and they can't get covered there, right? Yeah, yeah. The Nets, no one even cares about the Nets in New York City, right? It's a Knicks town. <laughs> like, 
people were freaking out about the Knicks winning a playoff game. Yeah, sure. More than they freaked out about the Nets, like, being maybe the best team in the NBA. Um, so, like, that's, the, that's what you're working with when you're trying to get coverage for NYCFC playing in a baseball stadium or Red Bulls playing out in Newark. Yeah. It's hard, right? But if you're going to achieve it, you really, really need to be super proactive. You need to let those locals kind of break the stories and with the idea that that buys you more in the future, right? Right. Um, and I don't know. Like, that's a very basic thing. Mm-hmm. But not even teams don't even do that for the most part. Some do. Yeah, it but, depends. I mean, you know, I, I could go on for which teams value PR, which teams don't. You know, uh, which teams value the, the main thing. The main thing is transparency, though. Yeah, it's letting people in, right? Yeah, and and not being closed off, and it's and it's being secure in your club, right? And as an individual in yourself, enough to let people in and invite some scrutiny. Yeah, right. Yeah, and sure. that not is it's not always going to be easy or comfortable, and it's not always going to be good for you. Right. Because when you're inviting scrutiny, then like, you know, sometimes there's going to be some scrutiny. Um, but on the whole, like, I, I still believe that most press for MLS is good press at this point. Sure. 100%. Um, and I think that that would invite more of it. Right. So I think that would be a good thing. Speaking of inviting it. scrutiny, you're, you're pretty active on Twitter. Um, it's a necessary evil. Is it? I think from a media standpoint. I mean, I, I get the need to publicize my own work. Right. I'm trying to sell subscriptions every story I write. Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, like, Twitter helps with that, no doubt. Right. Um, but man, like, I was on vacation two weeks ago now. Uh, I logged out of Twitter. I changed my password to something completely random that I had no idea what it was. So, I had to, you know, yep. go through the process of changing my password to log back in. Yeah. These are the steps I have to take because I'm <laughs> addicted to this yeah. stupid app. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I, I was off for like a full 10 days Wow! and the amount of space in my brain <laughs> that I had for like thoughts yeah. and feelings that like wasn't occupied by whatever BS is going on on Twitter yeah. that is just like so stupid. Like that was the thing. It's like you're on Twitter all day. You get caught up in whatever like the, you know, controversy sure. du jour is. Yeah. And like, that's what you're th- like. No, think it does. It. it consumes you. It's toxic. And, and like, you're not even thinking like about the tweet. You're just thinking about the controversy. And like, there were things that were happening. I had no idea that they happened. Like stupid little media beefs or mm-hmm. little controversies that like don't matter at all. I don't care about them. I don't, they don't bring enjoyment or joy to my life. Sure. But like they occupy so much of my stupid yeah. brain because I'm on this stupid app and I can't get myself off of it. And I was off of it and I was like, man, what a luxury. I'm reading books. I'm having creative thoughts. Yeah. My imagination's sparking. Sure. Like, yeah, Twitter sucks. <laughs> but how, like, let's say you deleted Twitter forever, right? Uh-huh. How would you know what's going on? I would go to the NewYorkTimes.com oh. and I would open the athletic app and, like, I would look at news outlets like people did for centuries before Twitter. But not in real time. That's fine. I can get, I can get by with that. I don't, I don't need to know. I don't need, Trey, all due respect, I don't need to know your, how your, th- your thoughts about the Broncos game. Like, I don't. The entertainment value is high. It is good, but, you, <laughs> but I can just text you if I want that that's, entertainment. That's true. You know, like the people I care about, the people whose thoughts I want to know on things, yeah. they're you my talk phone. To them. I can talk You're to them. you old school. Yeah. Like, I don't need to know Joe Schmo's thoughts on whatever. And if I do need to know Joe Schmo's thoughts on whatever... Like chances are he's writing about it or he's doing a podcast about it or she's doing a podcast about it or she's on TV about it. 
and I can find them there. Um. Okay. As we wrap this up, we're wrapping this up. Well, we don't have to. No, we should. This is gone. I just, I do want to hear some of your, your, your favorite memories of my favorite memories. Real Salt Lake. Are you you sure? Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I'll do, uh, I'll do a serious one and a jokey one. How about that? I don't know what the jokey one's going to be. Serious one. Um, and I think this is, I've told this story before, but it's, I think, super indicative of the moment in time at that job. And we were a small team in terms of the number of people we had in the front office, but we were really successful on the field and that drove a lot of success off the field in terms of ticket sales and sponsorship revenue and all of that stuff. And we were, we kind of had this sense that we were like this little club that could, and we were top three in the league and a lot of these different metrics. And we took a lot of pride in this. And I moved out here not knowing a soul, just like, because I like believed in American soccer. It was a stupid thing to do. Like, (laughs) I turned down a job that would have made me a lot more money to do this. And I found a lot of people who did the same exact thing, mm. right? And they could have been around my age, they could have been 20 years older, but we were all in that same boat and we were all here because we believed in American soccer and we were willing to work, most people were willing, willing to work really hard sure, to like really extend that vision. And it was just like a really good team spirit. And so one, I think, story of that, it was before the opener in 2014. In the home opener. It was an NBC Sports Network game. Mm. And those, you know, the posted kickoff time would be like noon. And I think it was noon. It was a day game. So we were worried about late arrivals. Yeah. Right. And, but, you know, the kickoff time would actually be like 1223 or something right. like that. And so we were like, okay, what can we do that's cool? And so we did that little card stunt. I remember. Right. And so me and Ty Cummins, who was one of the graphic designers at the time at RSL, I remember we were just like, bouncing ideas back and forth in the office. And this is like, it couldn't have been more than 10 days before this game. I think it was the week of the game. It might've been the week of. I vaguely recall. And we, I think we talked to you about it and you were like, yeah, go talk to Bill Manning about it. So we just like popped into Bill Manning's office, the president of the club. And we're like two pretty junior employees, Ty and I. (laughs) And we just knock on his door and we're like, Bill, what do you think of this idea? We think we can get the cards for, you know, low money. Right. Yeah. Maybe we can get them sponsored. We're working with the sponsorship department. Yeah. So like, maybe we don't have to pay for this at all. And like, we'll handle the setup. We'll figure it out how to do it. You won't have to pay for it. What do you think? And he's like, yeah, you tell me it's free and it's going to work. <laughs> like, okay, let's see what you guys got. Yeah. Right. And it worked awesome. Right. Yeah. And like, we just put out like me and Ty had to go around to everyone in the office and be like, Hey, I know you have game day duties on Saturday, like in the course of your normal job how do you feel about showing up to the stadium at like 6.30 in the morning to tape these cards to the back of every single seat in the building? And a lot of people were like, yeah, I'm there. Well, yeah. And we put the call out to fans and a lot of fans showed I up. I remember. Um, and that was like such a cool like moment of community that I thought was really reflective nice. of what that, what the team spirit, not just on the field, but like the sure. whole club spirit yeah. was about at that time. So I think that was a, a really good memory and then, I mean, we just had so much fun in that office. Yeah. Like, just a doing, lot of good people. Just doing really stupid stuff. All the, like, we, I can't believe some of the stuff we did. Do you, like, I don't know if you remember this, cause, but like, we, there was like a two week period where there were a bunch of us in this little corner of the office that we called Trash Mountain Corner. <laughs> and we would take like at two o'clock every day, we would take like a 15 minute break and like just like do karaoke. <laughs> I don't remember this. 
<laughs> it got shut down because like turned out people had to make sales calls and like eight people screaming out like I don't know like, living on a prayer yeah or whatever song we were screaming out like turns out that wasn't really conducive to someone trying to sell a ticket or a group ticket or like maintain a sponsor relationship um but we would just do stuff like that all the time just that sense of like you said it before sense of community the sense of hey we're all in this together we're building american soccer we're we're making a difference and you get that kind of immediate positive feedback yeah yeah and you see it in this community it's this little lab and i think everyone was really open to trying new stuff everyone was really open to sharing ideas there wasn't i mean there was a lot of ego but there wasn't at the same time you know what i'm saying yeah. So like, it didn't really matter where ideas came from. And I give a lot of credit to you and the other leaders at the company at the time for fostering that sort Thank of you. environment. Um, so yeah, that was really cool. And then I'm trying to think of like another stupid one. There's so many, not a lot of them are PG. So I don't know if we need to go down those roads. We'll, we'll put the, uh, but, we'll put the R rated ones on the future on the Patreon level. of. Yeah. Of you got to pay for that. Right. Exactly. Um, so, I mean, actually uh, there's gotta be one with you that I can just like tell real quick. I have no secret. Okay, so there was one time. I wasn't there for this. I was in Vancouver for the match. It was right oh, before awesome. it was right before the Open Cup final. Yeah. And so Jason Christ took like a squad like the big stars didn't even travel. Yeah. The team had like never won in Vancouver, I think. Correct. And this team was so good. They went up there and they just like dominated. And Vancouver was, I think, decent that year. Yeah, they were good. Um we won one nothing, right? I thought it was two. Sebastian Velasquez had the early goal, right? I don't remember. Devin Sandoval. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Big Adnella De- shutout. Big Dev definitely. Cole Grossman. Big Dev definitely had a goal because, all right, for those of you who don't know, and anyone listening to this podcast probably does, but Trey is from New Mexico. He's a big Un- University of New Mexico fan. Devin Sandoval, also from New Mexico, played soccer at the University of New Mexico. So Trey loved Dev. Loved him. By the way, Devin. I still love Big Super Dev. easy guy to love. Yep. He's a really good guy. Um. And he scored in this game, and Trey was so excited. He was at someone's house, and they, he like ran up a hill behind their house and was like screaming "Big Dev," tweeting. Yeah, Twitter locked us. Our, Twitter uh, locked you out, and apparently, I, I was in Vancouver, volume. so I didn't see this. But apparently, you fell down this hill. You were I was so excited. This. So. Um, I think we could get some people to corral. We had to we story. had to pull Lobo inside because he was the, the neighbor was worried he was going to get corralled by wolves <laughs> up by the Capitol. So, um, so yeah, Trey got locked out of Twitter. Oh, and there was one more time that same year, an Open Cup game earlier in the year. Yeah, it went to extra time, and I think Dev scored a goal in extra time. And again, I didn't see this one because I was in the press I think box it was against Charleston. Battery. I was in the press box working while you were just in a suite, like watching the game mm. or something like that. But anyway, sources sources told me that when Big Dev scored, you kind of got demonic eyes, and you just went, <laughs> you just went, Big Dev, Big, Big Dev, Dev, Big Dev. Yeah, that was clutch. Um, and so yeah, things. I like was that. a big Open Cup guy back then. I just wanted hardware, <laughs> and nobody else cared about the Open Cup. <laughs> it's the easiest path to Concacaf. I this will this will be on my on my. Uh, uh, Your tombstone? Tombstone, yes, thank you. That's like, that's the epitaph? The Open Cup is the easiest path yeah, to CCL. Yeah, yeah you want to go to Champions League? Win five games. Well, they cared about it at the end. And Lewis Neal had other ideas. Lewis Neal, who had been in camp with us that year. That year? No way. Yeah. Anyway, Sam, always great having you back in Utah. Always great seeing and talking to you. We could do this for 
hours and days, but uh, appreciate you taking a little time out of your working vacation travels to uh, yes. hang out with us here on uh, Bleeding. Claire the, pl- and the pleasure was all mine. Team is a star. Fortuna, Juventus, three points, two dot. <laughs> That's the new slogan. Love it. Thanks, Sam. All right, everybody, that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to connect with us, please join us on our socials, Twitter or Instagram at Claret Cobalt. We are always up for your banter, your guest suggestions. Uh, We'd love to hear from you in terms of corrections, omissions, uh, RSL memories, or whatever. This show is produced independently by Mountain Air Media and Trey Fitzgerald, recorded at Mountain Air Studios in Draper, Utah. The views expressed on this show are our own and do not necessarily reflect the opinions or positions of Real Salt Lake. We really appreciate the strong support we've received from all of you over the last six months. We appreciate all of our partners, our sponsors, our super fans, etc., especially Adam Sessions and One Wire Fiber. You can catch him, them, I should say, over at One Wire VOIP on Twitter and Instagram. None of this would be possible without the man, the myth, the legend, Ryan Hale.